Design New Podcast, Episode 34. If you are stressed, stretched, and stuck, and ready to take your life to the next level, reach out to me for a free 30-minute strategy call to see what steps you can implement right now to design your best life. Email me at connect at tinamurray.com and let's create your own unique blueprint to lay the foundations for that life that you really want. Are you ready to create the life you really want? Welcome to the Design You Podcast, where I talk to everyday people who know life can be done differently with a clear mindset, positive attitude, openness to growth, and their willingness to take life to the next level. Get ready to design you. Hi guys, Tina Murray here. Today I'm welcoming to the drawing board Kathy O'Dowd. Kathy is a South African mountaineer and the first woman in the world to climb Everest from both sides. Her 30 years of passion for mountains has taken her around the world on rock and snow, climbing and skiing. She works internationally as a motivational speaker, sharing her experiences of teams in the high Himalaya with corporate leaders. She is the author of Just for the Love of It, the story of her Everest adventures. She now lives in Andorra where she continues her mountain adventures and runs the business of adventures, which helps other adventurers find ways to fund their dreams. Join me as I chat with Kathy about climbing to the top. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the Design New Podcast. How are you today? Very good. I'm in the hotel in Zurich, so it's quite early in my time zone, but I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you so much. Now, tell us, first woman to conquer both sides of Everest. Why? How is mountain climbing not like this really obvious thing to do? I don't know. I grew up in Johannesburg, which is like this huge flat grass plain. And yet I found mountains as a teenager from one of these, you know, adventure summer camp things you get sent on. And then I just kept working my way into them. I joined the rock climbing club at university and then I wanted to know what would it be like to try something a bit more remote. I went to Central Africa, I went to the Andes, I went to the Alps and eventually I was trying to get to the Himalaya and the first chance I got was this ridiculous advertisement. Uh, Are you the woman with the balls for the summit? Oh gosh. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty yeah. bad. It, it was a, basically a, a media kind of, uh, what's the word, get more media coverage scheme mm-hmm. by one of the sponsors of the first South African Everest expedition. They had an all-male team. And they thought, oh, we'll run a competition to find ourselves a girl. And the girl can be taken up the summit mountain like a flag and put on top. It was dreadful. But sometimes life's opportunities mm-hmm. are that. Mm-hmm. They're weird and unexpected and not quite what you would have liked. I mean, I'd much have preferred an invitation to join the team because I was such a good climber, but I took the break that I could get. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I know some people are all about five-year plans and 20-year plans. Like, how do you know? How have you got any idea what will have come into your life in the next five years? Mm. Little like who you're going to be in 20. Mm. I feel as if I'm rafting down the river of life 
And I'm trying to control the direction. I mean, I'm trying not to get stuck in the shallows on the side or, you know, get thrown into a rapid or something. But on the whole, I'm also just looking for the opportunity. Mm. I'm looking for the interesting break. I'm, I'm looking for the, the new thing I hadn't expected. And although mountains were on the itinerary, Everest was kind of the unexpected lucky break, which then propelled my, my life and my career and my possibilities into a whole new level. Mm, and I love that word possibilities because basically you've seen an opportunity and you've gone, okay, this could be possible. Too often people will see an opportunity and either miss it altogether so they're not even seeing it or they don't think they have the ability, the skills, whatever to step up to it. So why do you think you've got this adventurous spirit that you could just jump in there and do it? I can't answer that one. I mean, again, it's not something that came from my environment. My, my parents were lovely people, but we grew up in the suburbs. We did day walks when we went to the, you know, on the beach holiday. That was it. Mm-hmm. So, so something, some things I think are innate. But then there's the question of what you do with that. Mm-hmm. And although now, yes, I wander around the world. I'm a motivational speaker. I'm about to stand up in front of a bunch of strangers at a huge pharmaceutical company later today and and you know tell them about doing things that have never been done before but I didn't start in that place sure I started you know nerdy and academic and not terribly self-confident and terrified to fail so I wasn't going to try anything if I wasn't already sure I was good at it and I had to learn to speak up and step up and create a space for myself and it still worries me <laughs> and I still don't network as well as I should. And I'm still introverted and end up standing against the wall at client events thinking, Oh God, can I go back to my hotel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can I go back to the mountains and just be quiet on my own? Mm. So I think it's something about saying, who are you innately? Because I do think that, you know, we've got some skills and some drawbacks and we're probably stuck with those. And then it's about going, how can I not waste my time on the things I'm not good at, mm. move towards the things I'm good at, and now up my game? Mm. So I'm articulate. I always was. I could always write. But as, a, as an adventurer, there's no money in writing the book. You know, the royalties that I get pay for a nice lunch once a year. <laughs> I mean, that's about it. Mm-hmm. The speaking circuit. Now there's money on the speaking circuit for adventurous speakers. But now, yeah, a stage, an hour, a group full of strangers, men mostly who earn, you know, multi-million somethings in the pharmaceutical industry. It takes a deep breath to hold that stage. Yeah. And those are skills I learned out of time, over time. So, yeah, work towards what you're good at, but then put real effort into getting better Mm. the things you, you, you innately like. Mm. So what are you doing right now to design your best life when you're saying that, you know, there's part of you that really doesn't want to be up on that stage, but you know, it's a, it's a means for you to be able to get your story out and to inspire other people to be able to step up and climb their own mountains, whatever they may be. What is it for you that's really inspiring you to, um, to live your best life now? Well, I think just to backtrack, oh, I like being on that stage. <laughs> what I'm saying is that, you know, as an as a introvert, 
Mm-hmm. It's not the sort of career I'd have put my hand up for as sure. a young woman. But that doesn't mean that I'm not firstly good at it and secondly enjoy it when I'm up there. Good to know. <laughs> but, yes, I think what matters to me is two things. The one is, and this is a, I don't maybe it sounds like a selfish aim, it's not I'm going to change the world, but that's okay, it's my truth, is to live an adventurous life with a low footprint in the world, mm-hmm. uh, live an adventurous life that's true to the things that I love and that I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And part of that for me is not actually running out to conquer summits, which is a really funny phrase. Uh, it's like an ant getting to the top of a fridge and announcing that it's conquered the fridge. It's like, <laughs> not really, not so much. But adventure is not... 8,000 meter peaks that cost $100,000 and need sponsors and media. Mm-hmm. Adventure is what happens when I open my front door. So part of that has been designing a life where I don't live in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. I live in the Pyrenees Mountains in the south of Europe where the sun shines and there's snow and rock and canyons and forests and mountain trails to run. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, within half an hour of my house, I can be skiing and running and climbing and swimming and it's all deep in the mountains. Yes. So it's about designing a life that's for every day, not for the big event. Mm. And then it's about sharing the journey of that life through speeches, through writing. And now my new side project is a website, The Business of Adventure, to try and help younger adventurers find the money. Mm. Because there's so much stuff out there that's inspiring. You know, throw your fears to the wind. Step in, step outside with $25 in your back pocket and embrace your adventures. Like, yeah, okay. And when the $25 runs out, mm-hmm. what about your insurance? And, you know, I wanted to do something that was thoroughly pragmatic, the sort of thing your mother's going to ask. Yes, dear, but how are you going to pay for it? <laughs> Love because it. it's important. Absolutely. You know, yeah. When we talk about in- designing our lives, I think inspiring quotes – get you so far, but then you need to get practical. Absolutely. The same thing I do with my corporate clients. I don't tell them they can climb any mountain. They can't. Most of them can't climb any mountains at all. They don't do nearly enough exercise, you know. But what I do tell them about is team dynamics, Mm -hmm. what happens with ambitious, egotistical, overconfident A-type when they, you know, are competing with each other to climb a mountain instead of collaborating as a team. Mm. What happens goes wrong and I talk to them about project execution even with top performing teams when you're trying to do something that's never been done before how does it go wrong on teams Mm. I'm interested in what the weak points are because if we know those Mm. we can make a plan Mm -hmm. I'm interested in talking about failure because I think when you look at why you failed at something like huh okay this is what went wrong in retrospect I could have tried that not that I'm going to beat myself up about it, but I'm just going to think, huh, I'm going to put my, those ideas in my tool sack and mm-hmm. have them with me on the next project. So mm-hmm. if I run into that problem again, maybe I'll have a, a better solution this time around. Mm. And how do you find with the A-type personalities that it sounds like you're doing a lot of speaking too, how does the concept of failure fit in with a lot of them when you have conversations with them privately? I think it's difficult even though companies will do lip service to, you know, fail fast, fail intelligently, or, you know, no guilt trips, no one's going to be 
homegrown and quartered for the failure. It's not entirely true. Mm. And it's very difficult because on one hand, they want people to innovate. They want people to take risks, but they also want 100% guarantee it won't go wrong. And you can't have both. Yes. So yes, one of the problems is uh, actually creating an environment where people are not terrified to fail. Mm. I mean, that's hard. I think that's hard on an individual level as well. Mm. One of the best things that happened to me wasn't that my first Everest climb was a success. It was that, as well as being a success, it was a massive controversial failure in the sense, partly we were on the mountain during a very epic moment in history, a huge storm and some famous people on other teams got killed. So now the media is wading in like, why are these people doing this? They're suicidal maniacs. The second problem was our own team function. uh, The team dynamic was dreadful. Three people walked out Mm. on the team before we got to base camp. And all of this was being reported by the journalist who who was with us. So again, we've just turned into this classic reality TV soap opera Mm. inadvertently. Everyone in South Africa is hanging on every new update about the drama, the infighting. And then we're we're ultimately successful and a team member's killed on the way down. Okay. So triumph turns to tragedy almost immediately. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, the whole thing is, is just this huge media drama. And I didn't know how to handle it. I'm a quiet, introverted person, and I, I didn't cry on TV when I should have, apparently, and got labeled an ice queen and, and a bitch uh, as a result. Mm. Um, you know, and it was awful and mm. very instructive and really quite useful because it, I survived. Mm. You know, the opportunities were still there, the speeches and, the, and the, the chance to write a book, the chance to write more sponsorship, the chance to become self-employed effectively as a speaker and a climber. And I've never looked back. I built a 20-year career off that experience. Mm. But I also feel a lot tougher about failing. I feel a lot more centered about other people's judgments about myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to please everybody. I'm, I'm not going to do the right thing in the eyes of every other person on the planet. And I have to live with that. I have to walk my own journey with confidence in my choices and a certain humility to say, yeah, I I get it wrong. The best I can do is try and learn from that and and do better next time. So yes, failing is really useful and having the courage to try something, even knowing that it might not work out, that's hugely helpful. And to me, that's about taking responsibility for your own life because you're saying, you know what, I'm going to make decisions. Let's see where they take me. But I take full responsibility for whether it fails or the bits that do work, or the bits that don't work, whatever. Um, and you know, there's there's a real ownership to that. When so, when you're talking about mm. self confidence and what people say about you, when you actually take responsibility for yourself, it gives you a whole new perspective on other people's opinions of you, doesn't it? But I think it has to come. It's self confidence, and then don't ruminate. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Easy I think of myself as forward looking. Well, yes. <laughs> and again, I think it is about temperament. Mm. So I'm a forward-looking person. I'm interested in what's coming next. I'm not all that interested in rehashing what went before, beyond doing kind of a a post-project debrief. What went wrong? What went right? What am I pleased with? What could I have done better? And then move forward. Sure. What you can't do is get caught in a cycle of like, oh, I should have said, and what did they think? And oh, I wish I had. And Mm. 
you know, with water under the bridge, let it flow away into the past and move yourself on on your journey. Mm. And with the people that you're helping to get funding, because obviously it is expensive to be to do the sort of adventure stuff that you're talking about, what is a good way for them to be able to get some sponsorship, et cetera? Well, part of the problem is there isn't a one-line answer. Okay. So when I, when I put together the project, I sat down and really thought about where my money came from and all the people I know. And essentially, there are about eight funding streams and none of them will bring you cascades of money. Even if you go for the big sponsorship check from a corporate sponsor, hugely difficult to get. And then it comes with a lot, a lot of restrictions. Mm -hmm. You have to factor that into the value of the check they gave you. And even that, that's a one-off for the project. That still doesn't pay your mortgage. It still doesn't say how you're going to, you know, how will you be paying the bills 12 months after the expedition? Yes. Because you probably aren't holding down a real job while you're doing this. So you weave together money from these different funding streams. And they will be available to you at different points in your journey. Some are money that's available before projects. Some are money that's available by monetizing what you did afterwards, essentially giving the speeches, writing the book, making the adventure film, doing the consulting, whatever it is. And you are going to spend your life weaving a tapestry out of these different sources of money. Mm-hmm. You'll probably end up relying on a couple of them. So for me, it's the speaking. But for example, the book, the royalties, are, who cares? But the book is like this extended business card that gets me speeches, gets me media coverage, gets me new new followers on social media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the streams will be reinforcing another. Yes. So it's, com- it's complex. But on the other hand, it's fun. It's your life. I mean, adventurers rarely are people who've stepped out of the mainstream and said, I'm going to design my own life. I'm going to make my own work. I'm going to design my own sources of income. And I'm going to live with the excitement and the uncertainty and the self-responsibility that goes with that. Mm. Talk to me more about uncertainty because as you are no doubt aware, you know, that's something that most of us need to some degree. How does that work with, I mean, obviously you've said that you do a lot of preparation on many levels, obviously physically, emotionally, with mentally. On top of that, how do you start to take those steps when things are uncertain? How how do you, you balance that out for, you, for yourself, do you think? I think we manage uncertainty. I tend to think of it as risk management. Mm-hmm. So you need a couple of things. One is an understanding of what the risks are. And again, with, with the adventurers, that's why they need to talk about money in a thoroughly pragmatic manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to talk about injury and medical insurance and evacuation insurance. They need to have really sat down and thought about not just the dream of it all going right, yeah. but the ways in which it could go wrong and what the strategy is if, if that happens. Mm. So it's having done your assessment. Then it's about stepping into the space with confidence and skill because you'll have thought of all the problems you've encountered in your life before or that other people who've done this have encountered, but life will take you by surprise. There'll be some problem. They're just like, oh, my God, this one I did not expect. <laughs> So how do you step into a space knowing that there's risk out there that you just haven't even thought of? Mm -hmm. And I think you do it by not chasing goals, but by building skills. 
Mm. This is another one, particularly for adventurers, but I do think it applies to anyone building a career. Look at every project and say, what is the skill I'm going to learn by taking part in this thing? Look at every educational opportunity. In our case, it's literal. We go and do uh, wilderness medical training courses. We do avalanche safety courses. We do rope skill management courses. And you, you retrain. Even mm. at my age, even after 30 years, I retrain in key skills every couple of years. Yep. And so I step out into that space not knowing what's going to go wrong, but confident that I carry a skill set that will let me problem solve in the field. Mm. And the confidence in using that skill, I think that has to be about doing it. Yes. Again, I watch a lot of people plan. There's planning, which is actually the proper stuff. What, is, what have other people done? What went wrong? What did, what did they solve? How has the space changed? Because, you know, things are changing quickly now. Mm -hmm. But there's the planning that is just procrastination. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to step out of my front door because, oh, maybe I should read one more trip report. I'm not going to actually start writing my book because maybe I should read some more websites about how writers get published. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to give a speech because, you know, they're, they're YouTube TEDx videos I should be watching about how to give a speech. Yeah, that's not planning. That's procrastination. Mm -hmm. The only way we get confidence in the space is by stepping into the space and giving it a go. Yep. And that's learning those skills. Yep. Again, in the adventure space, everything's so commercialized. So now there are lots and lots of professional qualifications you can take. And people, I think, feel that every single stage, of, like take rock climbing, how to put on a harness, ooh, I have to do the professional course, how to tie the knots, how to follow a rock climb, how to lead a rock climb. In my days, you just went with someone who was better than you and learned from them, and then you tried it for yourself. <laughs> and maybe it was a little more risky, but we gained experience quite a lot faster. Yeah. You know, don't get hung up on, again, accumulating a set of sort of official piece, pieces of paper that say you're allowed to do this. Mm. Step into the space in a small way with people who are better than you and start doing it. Mm. That's how you build contacts, confidence, and skill. And those three things, I think, take you forward. Mm. And when people are applying this to their everyday life, to the sort of guys you're talking about, like at this pharmaceutical company, what's the biggest skill, obviously apart from taking action, which is a big part of what you're saying and working out what those skills are that you're learning as you go along, what else can we, we use that you take from your mountaineering that we can all use in everyday life? Well, what I'm going to be talking about today, for example, is trying to do something that hasn't been done before, mm -hmm. using a big, uh, a new route at an 8,000-meter peak I was involved in as the example. And essentially what I'm talking to them about is what goes wrong as that project unfolds, given that you, are, you don't have a path. Mm -hmm. You're actually trying to blaze a trail. And yes. therefore, no matter how much planning you've done, you can't really predict what's going to happen. And I'm going to bring it down to three things that I think certainly went wrong on our team. And I think uh, it's reasonably typical of project management. The first one is that everybody sticks to their little field of expertise and doesn't spend enough time getting input from other people who have different perspectives, mm. what needs to happen. Our division is going to be between uh, Sherpas who are incredibly physically strong 
they were pushing the route forward because they were fastest, but they didn't have the kind of in-depth strategic understanding of climbing a new route because that's not what they normally do. They're normally mm-hmm. just podging up and down Everest. Uh, so the route finding wasn't going right. Okay. Whereas the people with a strategic knowledge were so desperately stuck at the back, exhausted with just trying to keep up on a daily basis, mm-hmm. that they weren't stopping us to say, hang on, what's the big picture of this plan? Yes. Don't just chase, you know, the fastest guy up the mountain. Let's think about this particular mountain. Yeah. We should probably be going sideways at this point. We should probably, we didn't rest nearly enough either. Uh, that's a message that does not <laughs> stick with corporate clients. <laughs> And, and you can see them nodding and then they just say, like, sorry, our culture demands yeah. 20 hour days, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, honestly, you'd, you'd, do be- you'd all do better work. Yes. Climbers and corporates alike, if we got more sleep and more time off. Yes, it's been proven uh, you know, over and over yeah. again. <laughs> exactly. But the research about the science about sleep is fascinating. Mm. Uh, but anyway, we all need more rest. <laughs> so that's one. The second one then is communication. Uh, and you think even small teams, I mean, I understand how corporations end up with their communication getting kind of stuck because mm-hmm. they're siloed into offices and buildings and they're not sharing. But even on small teams, just the fact that during the day, you know, you're wearing so much clothing, you actually can't hear a great deal because mm-hmm. it's so cold. Mm-hmm. At night, you're trapped in tiny two-man tents with hours worth of chores to do. There isn't a space where the six of us have a thoughtful discussion about where is this project going. Wow. So finding ways to have rapid communication between all the people on your project and make sure that what they're seeing, what you're seeing, is being shared. Mm. Are we taking this new information into account? And then the third one then becomes adapt the plan. Because you set out with this plan Something you haven't done. It's your best hope. It's not the truth of what's going to happen. It's not like Everest where we have 50 years worth of other climbers. We, we pretty much know exactly what route we're going to take. Mm-hmm. These. This one, the trouble is you're stressed, you're tired, you're scared, you're under pressure. So people feel as long as I'm following the plan, I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But the plan isn't matching up with the reality that you're finding. Mm-hmm. And you're not talking to each other. You're not hearing from the, the experts who are seeing things you might not have seen. You're not realizing that literally you're on this path. Reality is slowly wandering off over here out of the screen altogether. Mm-hmm. And it takes a crisis, which is what happened to us, to realize we're completely off track. Reality yeah. has taken a swerve and we're still following this piece of paper that's irrelevant. Mm. Because we... Th- crumble up a piece of paper and do a crisis reset. Yeah. But honestly, if you could have seen that coming day by day and moved your plan towards your reality, mm. and it's hard because it makes you look uncertain. You know, you're supposed to be leading a project or, and you're saying, like, actually, I'm kind of changing my mind about what's going to happen. And people are like, oh, does she even know what she's doing? Mm. So that's hard. Mm. But it's also true. Yeah. But if you can say the reasons why you're changing because you can see that things, the outcomes are looking different from where you were, at least there's something behind that. It's not just, oh, she's just changed her mind. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it is difficult when a lot of time your judgment is being based on kind of experience and gut response to an environment. Mm. And a lot of this happens in a very gray area. 
both in climbing and in business. The truth is there's certain decisions that are clearly stupid. There's certain decisions that are, you know, the obvious best choice. And there's a whole lot of fumbling around going like, "Uh, maybe this, it feels to me like that. Mm. And then you might be proved wrong by sheer bad luck. The economy changes. Something happens. Somebody sends out an incredibly stupid tweet and the world shakes. You know, you can't factor that into your planning. True. And you have to accept that. You're moving in a gray area. You make the best judgments you can and then hope that events stay on your side. (laughs) Talk to me a bit more about intuition and that gut feeling because you're right, a lot of people who are very good in business do rely on their gut as as well as their experience and skills and Obviously, when you're out adventuring, there's a big part of your body is taking over on some level and saying, this doesn't feel right. Tell me about that. Actually, this is very interesting because there's, I think there's quite a lot of fetishizing of gut instinct in business, mm-hmm. essentially because people have got it right, write a best-selling book about how I saved company X. <laughs> When the economy crashes, nobody writes a best-selling book about how I crashed Company X. Mm-hmm. It's always like, ooh, market environments, out of my control. You, know, you couldn't have foreseen that. So we, hmm. the thing is, in adventure, where we actually train for some very real risks, because in adventure, it's, it's skin in the game at the highest level. We can die. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be Everest to die. Absolutely. I leave tomorrow to go ski touring in the Austrian Alps. There are a number of in, interesting ways we could kill ourselves in the next week, mm. uh, ski touring. This thing about retraining every couple of years, what they tell us is in the end, experts and amateurs working on gut instinct are equally likely to get themselves killed. Okay. The people who don't are experts who retrain because their assumptions are then challenged against the data every couple of years. Mm-hmm. So because the, the trouble with gut instinct is, did it go right because you were right or because you were lucky? Mm-hmm. And you don't know. Yes. Because yeah, it's not as if God gives you a report, you know, <laughs> what, what might have happened up the other way around. Uh, so, yeah, gut instinct, but gut instinct against either intelligent debriefing projects. Mm-hmm. What was skill? What was luck? What were the mistakes we made? What should we have done instead? And or against retraining in your field, if that's a thing that's available, continuing professional development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go with instinct, but check it against the data. Check it against the fact. I like it. Thank you. And tell me, 50 years time, where do you see yourself? I'll be dead. Actually, oh, God, I might not. I'd be 99. <laughs> I might make 99. Uh, I'm not going to. You'll be right. (laughs) uh, Just these really long lifespans, only if you're healthy. Um, Yep, I'm going to be 99 and and lifting my tiny little weights. And um, I'm looking forward to Ezema frames so that I can. I need a four by four electrically assisted Zimmer frame (laughs) so that I can still be. You know, climbing up mountainsides. Yeah, that's my vision for 50 years from now. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's fantastic. If you were going to leave a message with Design New Community, what would it be? You're capable of more than you think. 
Absolutely. But that's not the cheesy, if you dream it, you can do it, everything is possible. It isn't. There are constraints based on who you are, your body, your character, the environment you live in, the resources you have available to you. So, you know, don't waste your time shooting for the moon. Take your time to think, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? And realistically, with the resources you've got, how can you move that forward? And the quote I love, I don't know quite where it comes from, but this idea that we all, and we all overestimate what we can achieve in a year mm. and then are disappointed three months in when we don't appear to be getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we underestimate what we can build in 10 years. Yes. Start taking the first step today and then tomorrow, next month, next year, 10 years from now, with focus and purpose, you could be somewhere quite extraordinary. Mm. Well, that's an amazing way to finish off this interview. So thank you. We look forward to being extraordinary and reaching somewhere extraordinary. Thank you so much for your time today and good luck with your, with your talk later with all the pharmacists. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. A huge shout out to you for being here, for listening in and being ready to step up to the drawing board. I honour your spirit and your openness to growth. If you have a mate who you think will benefit from hearing today's message, please share this episode with them. Another great way you can support us is to subscribe or to leave a five-star review in iTunes. These reviews really do assist us to raise the visibility of the Design You podcast and helps us to reach Design Yours from all walks of life. I really do appreciate the time it takes for you to do that. So thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Design You podcast. You'll find the show notes over at tinamurray.com. Can't wait to see what you create as you design it, communicate it, and live it.